Hi, this is Kenneth Johnson, creator of Alien Nation, and you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. Welcome back to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to any and all canceled television shows in the sci-fi, fantasy, and horror genre, as we are still in science fiction right now, covering Alienation, the TV series. And Mr. Zeneca will be off for the next couple of podcast episodes until about April, but we have a couple of great pitch hit co-hosts uh, with us right now to talk about uh, some episodes coming up, the one that we're doing tonight and then another one coming up with a returning guest uh from trick-or-treat radio but tonight on the show with us we have a distinguished author on the show with us uh who's in the uh same uh publishing world that we both kind of get represented by the same person um he deals in sci-fi ideal and horror we have author scott overton on the show with us uh thank you for coming into the podcast to talk about alienation and your book scott well, thank you for inviting me, Chris. Yes, I don't know about the distinguished part, but the rest is fine. Sure, yeah. You've done, um, you have, by the way, 30 years of broadcasting in a radio show, too? Yes, actually, of various radio shows, but about 25-plus uh, years of it was morning oh. broadcast on private radio. Wow, I have 15 years, so I have 10 more years to catch up with you, too. You'll get there if you want to. Uh, well, we're in the 15, we're in the middle of the fifteenth year right now, so the sixteenth year will begin in October. So there you go. Yeah, we got a new sponsor coming on, so hopefully that will help keep the show alive. Um, Goth Club in 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 in, um, in our area might be joining us, so we'll see. Yeah, good. Um, talk us, tell us a little bit about some of your books, like Augment Nation, which just coincidence has a similar title of AN to the TV series we are talking about. Yeah, that's what we were just uh, noticing. Uh, you know, Augment Nation is my newest novel, um, science fiction novel, and the fourth science fiction novel that I've written. And the first one I wrote, strangely, Chris, was about the world of radio. So that was a mystery thriller called Dead Air, because I think it's required that, you know, if you write a mystery book about radio, it's got to be called Dead Air. Anyway, uh, so I've written four science fiction books since that time. They're generally near future or present day. And in the case of Augment Nation, the newest one, it's about 20 years from now when brain augments, computerized brain augments, are a commercial item. So nowadays people might know about Neuralink from Elon Musk, which is just one of many companies that are working on that kind of thing. Is the idea of translating your brain waves, your thoughts, into action. So an augment that is a computer bit of processing adding to your brain power that can also maybe connect to the Internet. And in my case, with uh, my main protagonist in Augment Nation, that's what happens. Of course, there can be a lot of bad things when your brain can connect directly to the Internet. And he happens to be uniquely positioned to be able to fight back a little bit and lead some resistance to it when it happens. But I really think it'll happen that soon. There was an aug- 
there's like an augmented reality um, brain kind of show on Amazon right now called Upload. Yeah, I mean it's not a it's not a, a brand new fresh idea that we could do that. There are all kinds of different variations and they really will happen. I just think that probably about 20 25 years from now it'll have taken over from smartphones as the thing that we want to do all our stuff with. And uh, there's just an awful lot that we have to get figured out before that happens or we could be in some dangerous waters you know i have to give the show a chance i've uh, almost I, it's not that i was going to pass it up completely i know it's from the creator of like parks and rec in the office so it's a you know it's a sci-fi park and rec office humor kind of show but uh, i was now more determined to watch it just because of um the guest that i had on radio of horror the actual broadcasting radio show i do william b davis from the x-files uh is on that show and he came on right. and he was talking about upload so i'll have to give that a try when i check out your book as well man. Yes, the cigarette smoking man. It's been the second time he's been on the show in 13 years. It's been 13 years since the last time he came on, but it was really nice to have him on the show. Um, just real quick, what were some of the topics you covered in your broadcasting morning show? Oh my gosh, I just covered uh, whatever. I mean, I was just trying to entertain people in between songs, you know, and picking up the the headlines, the issues of the day, a lot of local oh, stuff okay. because it was you know in in the city in which I lived. Okay. And, yeah. What was your first exposure to Alien Nation? Well, I've always been a fan of science fiction on TV, so when I first saw the movie with James Caan, I really enjoyed that. When they brought it out as a TV series, I thought, oh, this is great. And um, in past years, I got the whole thing on DVD, so I've watched it again since. It really was a good show. I mean, within the restrictions of 80s-style TV, it really was good. And uh, the, the two episodes that we're going to be talking about are some really good ones, particularly the game. Yes. Um, did I ask you to write a plot synopsis for these episodes? No, not really. I can quickly go over it. Uh, no, I got it right here. I just okay. I might, it might have slipped my mind. Mr. Zeneca usually has a plot synopsis written up for the episode before <laughs> we dissect it piece by piece. Yeah. Uh, the game uh, aired on November 20th, 1989 in the United States. Uh, the Day of Descent, the fifth anniversary of the uh, Tectonese liberation from the slavery of their ship arrival on Earth finds Francisco depressed. A lethal form of gambling from the ship may be continuing on Earth. Now... When I saw this episode, and I heard it was called The Game, and then I watched it, two things came to mind immediately. The Michael Douglas uh, thriller from the 90s, The Game, which is I, honestly one of my p favorite David Fincher movies, David Fincher movies, and the setup of this game reminds me a lot of the um, non-canonical uh, 007 movie Never Say Never Again. <laughs> really? There is a scene in that where they James Bond, played by Sean Connery, the last time he would play James Bond, um, would play a game with the villain, and they have to hold this device, and they do this thing, and it, it, it right. very much reminded me of this. This is, by the way, the James Bond movie. They were not allowed to use the score, so and it came out the same time as Octopussy to try and show who is the better Bond, Roger Moore or Sean Connery. Roger Moore's film destroyed Never Say Never Again. <laughs> I do remember that scene, and I have all the Bond movies pretty much anyway, too, and that was a powerful one, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that the game is the Alien Nation episode that I remember the best. It's just a powerful, dark, but very dramatic episode, and some good stuff in it. So, yeah, great to talk about it. Our, uh, why don't we uh, start with your notes on how the episode starts? 
Well, uh, you know, I mean, it's very clearly. And I noticed, in fact, Chris, whether you've noticed it on IMDb, if you look up the Alien Nation series, that is the clip that they use for their preview clip for the series. So that says something about the episode, too. I mean, it is a Russian roulette, as one of the characters mentioned. So, you know, when we find out that um, George has this nightmare about being back on the ship and playing this deadly game, we know something is, is going on pretty terribly. And uh, anybody who's followed the show knows that the Tank Denise react badly to salt water. I mean, it, it damages them physically. And so this game involves a spinning device that sprays one or the other of the two uh, combatants, the two people against each other, with either just a harmless spray of steam or a spray of salt water that will kill them. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was, that was, uh, that, that is, um, equivalent to a to a loaded gun uh we also meet in this episode uh, one of the another technies that has like a weird name based on somebody from history because they all take their names from people from history um we have thomas edison played by uh sam anderson who is a character actor to no end the guy has done stuff and he's just like this prolific uh character actor who i thought had passed away but i'm wrong no he's still alive with us today um, but, uh, I mean, jeez, you look at this guy's career, and he was on Grimm, he was on Lost uh, for 28 episodes, um, he was in Airplane 2, he was been on JAG, he's been on Family Law, he's been on every version of CSI. I mean, it, it's it's one of those characters, actors, who gets consistent work in Hollywood in television, so hats off to him. Um, but, uh, yeah, he Will plays you... one of these, again, weird-named aliens based on people of history. Yeah, and that's always kind of a humorous bit of the show when they come up with names like Betsy Ross and whatever, which, I mean, we get to in another episode. But uh, one, the guest star that struck me was Andreas Katsoulis, who played Jakar in Babylon 5. Uh-huh. And he's the bad guy in this episode of Alien Nation. But, I mean, a really, really good, again, a really good character actor. And and very memorable. His face, you know, even without the Jakar makeup, he's very, very memorable. Uh, so you know him as soon as you see him. But interesting that he'd be doing this kind of show as well with different head makeup. Uh, Matt thought that the term of endearment to be called a dork, even though being a dork in, in real life in, in, in our context is not great. <laughs> um, it's... You know, you're a dork if you're into video games or comic books or whatever, but people will call you a dork anyway, even if you're not into that stuff and you just act kind of foolish. Um, Matt thinks it's a term of endearment after learning the truth behind it until he finds out it's the equivalent to a pigeon. And he's like, I am a flying rodent equal. No, I am not. And he gets kind of pissed about the whole thing. Yeah, a tank to these tradition that on their day of descent celebration, they'll be nice to someone, do something nice for someone or something, not just a human, as George points out. It could be any of the creatures of Earth that they're grateful for. And so Albert, the goofy guy at the police station that does all the, the basically janitorial work, chooses to be nice to a pigeon while George is buying coffees for Matt and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, like a click dork. I don't know. They go, uh dork 
That's the term that they use. The the dance that Emily does, um, uh, dance in in television film is getting very popular these days with people recreating it when you have things like... um, Wednesday's dance on the TV series Wednesday uh, being heavily copied and, and, and redone. And I, I was like, I was looking through uh, multiple feeds of uh, TikTok videos and nobody's ever done Emily's dance. So <laughs> maybe uh, somebody from uh, the sci-fi community needs to do that. I mean, if you're going to do obscure cosplay, like the idiotic styrofoam uh, uh, tinfoil hat wearing uh, cult worshippers from Dude Where's My Car? Why not Emily's Dance from Alien Nation? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it didn't strike me as all that alien and all that weird. It, it was beautiful, but you know, just kind of ballet-ish. Um, but this whole episode, I just think, was really good. You know, as a, a science fiction writer, I looked at that as a story and thought, given the constraints of TV at the time and everything like I thought it was a really good, strong story. Very dramatic. The whole uh, character revelation about George's background on the ship, his brother's death, because his brother, it turns out, is one of the people that gets killed in this game on the ship. And George almost gets killed, but the descent of the ship, the crash landing of the ship, begins at that moment, just as he's about to go into this game and be killed. Uh, he is saved by this twist of fate. So this was a really good element of the story, and it all comes in just at the right times. It's well revealed to keep the suspense going, and then you find out all this thing a thing about George's background and the harshness of, again, the overseers and the way they treated people. Yeah, the um, that, that was an interesting little added on uh, tidbit to their you know, crash on Earth or whatever, which interrupted this whole thing. Um, so he has survivor's guilt. Yeah. Which is another, another big theme of that. So we, it's something we don't get in the movie. And, you know, the TV series expands upon what happened in the movie in a lot of ways. You know, the TV series is a remake of the movie, um, with the exception of, like, we don't see the opening where Matt's partner is killed by a uh, alien. Um, but you you get this giant you know huge like blow up of it another show similar to this uh that we have covered uh called War of the Worlds um in season 2 they go back to the events of the very first movie the the original movie and explain what the aliens were doing leading up to their invasion of earth in 1954 and it's terrible because it's it's <laughs> not well written it's not good it is. It gives the aliens all this political crap, and they look like giant mushy monster turds. I don't want to see what giant mushy monster turds have for political nonsense. I don't care. But the alien nation, the fact that they look like us and they're humanoid, you know, two arms and legs, and they're pretty much again they look like humans except for spots on their heads. I, that's fine. I, I'm more interested in the intrigue and the political stuff behind the Tactonese. Uh, and why they sure. came to Earth. And um, it's, 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 uh, let's also face it, they're much more beautiful to look at than the creepy, crawly, cockroach-looking aliens from District 9. <laughs> yeah, you could say that for sure. Because and I have it, a crush on Kathy in this show. I don't have gorgeous. a crush on anything that looks like a cockroach in District 9. No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> and in fact, I actually had Terry, who plays Kathy, on the podcast, and we were going to play that interview coming up in the future, and I got to oh, tell great. her how much I had a crush on Kathy. <laughs> 
good for you. Yes. Just, you know, just bury, bury your soul a little bit there. I'm I've sure. done that. Mr. Zeneca did it when we had, uh, when we had uh, Adrian Paul from Highlander on the show because he was on World, World, War of the World Season 2, and she had the biggest crush on him when she was growing up as a teenager. <laughs> well, now, I know you had Kenneth Johnson on as well. And, Correct. And he's still around and, and writing books. Yes, I he is. That he's just got a book that he's uh, yes. blogging these days, too, so that's probably worth checking out. He's been on this show and on Radio of Horror to talk about the 45th anniversary of the Incredible Hulk TV show. Yeah, he was involved so in so many good shows yep. of that of that era for sure, and it's good that he's still putting out good material. Now, one of the other great things I thought about the game episode, which just before we leave it, is the way it leads you to believe that George may be about to kill the overseer who is behind this game and has caused him so much pain, the death of his brother and such. And of course, he's not that kind of guy, but uh, he, they lead you right up to it. And it's a good one. There is one part in this episode I do, no offense, Scott, wish Mr. Zeneca was on for. There is this jewelry that pops up that looks like anal beads. And Mr. <laughs> Zeneca is a, is the name implies what she is about. And we have discussed it on this podcast multiple times because she actually just opened up a uh BDSM nightclub in Pennsylvania, hence why she's not on with us, unfortunately. So oh, this would have been hilarious okay. to talk about with her because she's very much a fun to to, uh, to tease about. She teases me about the uh, the sex that comes up in the shows we cover. And let's face it, there is some serious adult material on Alienation. <laughs> there is, as a very definitely an adult show. I wouldn't want to recommend it for kids. And this episode's no exception when it comes to the dramatic. Part part of it either no it's good stuff though i mean alien nation i think has this incredible relevance to today's topics more so than anything else and obviously eric pierpoint who's also been on with us terry and ken all agree that their alien nation is needed today now more than ever especially with the way politics have been happening especially with the last presidency currently in the new presidency it's stuff that it, it has got to get talked about in a tv show like this and not yeah. just for the sake of like a black and white thing or an Asian and whatever Hispanic thing, you know, maybe, maybe creating this kind of like, you know, fictional thing so we can escape a little bit, but still have some relevance for it. Because sometimes well, watching a show like CSI where they, where they get into like a black and white crime, it, it hits a little too close to home for some people. And some people need an escape like alienation. As, as with the best science fiction, it's allegory. It's about ourselves. It's about our society, our time. And alienation is about alienation. Mm -hmm. All one word. I mean, it's about uh, intolerance in whatever form it is, whether you think of it as racism or uh, gender issues or against women or you name it. It is an allegory about that kind of alienation and isolation and those problems. And it's a big a part, of, as big a part of our society as it has ever been. So, yes, I agree with you. We need shows like that. When you are as a as a let me start over. as a writer, um, do you have a book that does have a similar um, real world relevancy to it with involving it can involve anything. It doesn't have to be about racism, but it could be involved anything. 
Uh, well, I mean, I always try to write about issues of the day. I mean, uh, my first one's called the Primus Labyrinth. It's about traveling through the bloodstream to save a victim's life. Uh, I got the idea really from Fantastic Voyage, if you remember the movie from the 60s. Oh, God, yes. And a great, great movie. I took a, a different turn with it, but it's a lot about the um, violation of the of the person. As in, this guy is traveling, he's got a, a nano-submersible traveling through the victim's bloodstream by virtual reality, but he really senses he's there traveling through her bloodstream without her permission or knowledge. Uh, she has not been told what's happened to her, so there's a big element of that. Um, other things, you know, I always try to deal with direct issues that we have, and with augmentation, which is supposed to be a riff on the word augmentation, or at least call that to mind. Uh, it's about the privacy and access to ourselves that we give up now with our smartphones and all of the things we give to corporations just for convenience half the time. They use our data for this or that or whatever they want. We give it to them for the minimal rewards that they give back to us. And I think that is just a slope that's going to continue downward. And certainly if we get the direct brain augment uh, connections with the internet and such marketing, as I say in the blurb for the book, could become mind control. So there's a lot of that that uh, is our issues of the day, but also near future. Um, one of the best parts I like about this episode is uh, George, you know, tells Matt he appreciates his friendship so much, and then he knocks him out. <laughs> Good scene. Good scene. I did not expect yeah, George to do that. I really expected I there to be like that this. Wham. I, I did not expect that at all. <laughs> Great to get him out of the way so that he is not implicated in what George is about to do. Yes, true. Um, a great act of friendship, but a surprise. And then the the spoiler alert, I mean, hopefully you watch this episode. Hopefully you're watching, by the way, any of the shows we cover. Make sure you watch them before you listen to the podcast. Um, George replaced the salt water with real water. Yeah, he just stopped. It was two cylinders, one with water and one with salt. And he just disconnected the salt so that the the bad guy gets sprayed with water, thinks he's dying, but he's not. Because yeah, it's I, just regular unsalted water. I did not see that coming either. I was like, ah, good Yeah, one. it just, uh, you know, they just pull you by the nose and they've got you right in that scene. It's a great scene. Definitely, definitely. Well, that's all the notes I have for this episode. Uh, we're going to take a little pause to plug in some other podcasts. And we'll be back with the next episode here on the Dead TV Podcast. Pause. Now, this is where I plug stuff in. I edit this part out. So, mm-hmm. uh, And then we just pause real quick, and then I'll know where the, the, the line is in the audio recording. Yep. I'm just trying to get to my notes, too. That's fine. <clears throat> Um, as you're a sci-fi writer, next weekend, I'm sorry, starting this weekend, till next weekend, is the 49th Boston Science Fiction Film Festival. It is the longest-running genre film festival in North America. Oh, wow. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be very cool to be there. Um, let me just send this text real quick to somebody whose email address that just got bounced back to me. So I got to find out what their email address is. <coughs> Cause it's actually the director of the film festival. His email address just bounced back to me. So I'm like, okay, dude, you gotta get me a rate email. Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time. 
all of them, on one team. Since there are so many of us, we have a chance to do more than just put out fires. We can be proactive. We can do some real good in the world. JLUCast brings you coverage of Justice League Unlimited, the ultimate gathering of DC's heroes and villains, and the culmination of the greatest interpretation of the DC Universe ever. Join Chris and Cindy Franklin as they relive the team-ups, the battles, the conspiracies. I had no idea that the Girl Scouts were responsible for the crop circle phenomenon. Few people do. Few even think to ask the question. The romance and the fun. A head start. You're getting soft in your old age. Don't you have a tall building to go leave? And the adventure continues. Find us wherever fine fire and water podcasts are available. And we're back with the next exciting episode of Alien Nation, uh, Chains of Love. This episode aired November 27th, 1989, so this is probably was like Black Friday. Uh, Sykes and Francisco seek an elusive newcomer woman, all of whose dates wind up dead. George worries about Susan's fidelity. Uh, this <laughs> episode reminded me very much of... Like a Black Widow, Femme Fatale, um, Devil in the Blue Dress, because everyone's trying to find this woman, and then there's some misdirection about it, and I thought it was extremely well done. Um, it it yeah. opens up very uh, interestingly. It opens up like an episode of Silk Stockings. Do you remember that show? No, I didn't actually catch that one that I can remember, no. No, but it is a weird opening. Go ahead. Silk Stocking, by the way, was the um, like two hot detectives, man and woman. The guy wore cool suits. They were in Miami, so it was the heat. The woman wore, you know, detective wore short skirts with black pantyhose, and it was always crimes of passion. The music was all very jazzy. You know what I mean? It was just like there wasn't an ugly person cast on that show. Let me tell you, well, there hardly <laughs> ever is on American television anyway. Oh, yeah. I think nowadays there is because of the standards of television have changed. I mean, you look at a show like Drop Dead Diva. And that was about a supermodel reincarnating the body of a bigger woman to teach her a lesson about not being a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll grant you that one. Um, yeah, this one's kind of about a love potion, though. Yes, which is interesting. Uh, reminds me of the song Love Potion Number no. 9, which was made into a terrible movie starring Sandra Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> which I guess is sci-fi, science. I guess that's science missed, fiction, right? <laughs> I've missed that one. I've missed that one, even though I love Sandra Bullock. Yeah, it's, so, it's it, not great. <laughs> you know what's weird about the opening of this one? I mean, the Franciscos are having their house painted. Susan is, by the way they describe it, in heat, basically. Yes. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's they don't use that term, but all the description basically says that. The guys are being driven crazy by her Tanktonese pheromones, and, you know, that's immediately setting you up for a pretty adult show. Doesn't that remind you of, like, the Vulcans have to parfait and fuck around when it's time. Well, you know, there is some of that. Now, of course, is that what it's called? Am, am, am I saying it correctly? No, it's uh, Ponfar. Pa- okay. Ponfar is not, I think that's the one. You got it right. Ponfar. Yeah, parfait, I think, I think so. is, a, is, a, is a yogurt you eat. <laughs> An ice cream dessert. <laughs> yeah. Do you have yeah. any books that cover sex, by the way? You know, my very first one had some sex scenes, and I thought, um, I'm not doing it again. But I, 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 they all have love stories. They all have strong love stories. I love love stories. Uh-huh. 
and they have strong relationships and the characters have sex. I just don't describe it. I don't try to get into the nitty gritty and, and describe it graphically at all because it is so easy to write a bad sex mm. scene. I just don't want to go there. This is what I do. I go to the experts. I go to Mr. Zeneca. I now am friends with a woman named Isabella Sinclair. You can look her up. She's a dominatrix to the to the stars of Hollywood. She now <laughs> lives out here in Massachusetts. Um, I go to people I know who work and are at least educational in the experience to be like, hey, I'm going to describe this. How do I make it sound so I don't sound like I'm talking out of my ass? And they're usually pretty helpful. Um, like, I imagine they would be. You know, if you're going to consult somebody, they don't consult the experts on whatever topic. Right. Yeah. So I, I go to people I know would make it sound better than I can write it. You know what I mean? So sure. it, it's it's extremely helpful. Do you have experts that you go to for stuff about science fiction to make sure the science sounds like it's coming from somebody who knows what they're talking about? I check with people, but I don't um, generally get into anything all that exotic when it comes to science. And there is a lot of research. And if I can figure it out, my I consider my job is not to just get you know all the details right but to get the concept explained well enough that almost any of my readers would be able to understand it i mean for instance if you're getting into the subject of quantum mechanics uh quantum physics it's just so dense and there's so much to it that uh, you know does anybody totally understand it i don't know because it's just incomprehensible but you can get the essence of it and explain it enough for the premise that you're working with, you know, that kind of thing. I do try to check it as much as possible, and I have people with some experience read it after the fact. I haven't been caught on anything yet, but you never know. The um, In the episode, uh, Matt is a huge fan of the Three Stooges, which I am not a fan of. There no, is me. a Brooklyn water bagel store near where I work, in corporate that shows the three stooges all the time he tries to show it to kathy who this is like their you know puppy love romance is kind of building but she's like this is offensive people are hitting and hurting each other i could just imagine what she would think if she was watching airplane today <laughs> well you know airplane i think is a lot funnier than than three stooges Funny well, thank material. you for saying that by the way uh quick oh. note there's an airplane entire documentary book coming out from the directors this October. <laughs> no, I love that movie and I love their sense of humor. Oh, but in this case, I have to say that Matt Sykes as a character in the series is often made a little too cartoonish. It bothers me. And his love of the Three Stooges and his trying to laugh so hard at it and everything like that really makes Gary Graham work too hard. You know, I can't I can't put aside my sense of disbelief, let's put it that way, in that scene. I don't like that scene because he's just a little too cartoonish of a character. And I know that was a character of the 80s cop shows, but I really wish they could have done with less of that. Um, one, of the ep one of the characters in this episode, another historical name, is Johnny Appleseed, and he is played by somebody who should be well-known to every horror fan on the planet Earth, mainly because he's a good actor, but also his brother is a great director, Ted Raimi. <laughs> yes, yes, and Sam Raimi, of course, is a great director of so many different kinds of movies. But you know what? When I saw Ted Raimi in the cast list, I thought, wait a minute, Sequest DSV. 
I completely Did you forgot ever he see was on that, that show. Sh- I completely forgot he was on that show. Honestly, he was on that show. I, it was like uh, a helmsman or something. I yep. remember anyway. He was he was on the show. So, and the other guest star playing this mysterious woman that everybody's looking for is Caitlin O'Haney, who played on Tales of the Gold Monkey. If you ever saw that show, it was set back during World War II in Southeast Asia. No, but and, I did see Wolfen uh, in Night of the Wolf. What's that? I did see Wolfen in Night of the Wolf, which she's in. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, she's pretty hard to recognize in this episode, not only being in the Tank Denise makeup, but uh, for other reasons in her her facial uh, distortion that they have for, oh, for her God, character. Yeah. But... Um, by the way, Ted Raimi's uh, newest thing for people want to check out what he's been up to, uh, besides obviously um, – he'll probably be in uh, the next Sam Raimi thing is he was in uh, the query, which is a uh, video game. Uh, he plays the sheriff and I don't want to spoil it, but it is quite the mystery when you play this game of what, what's going on. Ah, it's a horror well, game too, by the way. So just FYI, this is not for children. <laughs> he, he's a good actor. He's a good actor. So I would look into something that he's in, something like that, that for sure. And and Chains of Love is the name of the episode because essentially there's this Tanktonese chemical, a drug that they call Sardinac, which is a love potion. And if you take it, and then, then the next person you see, you're going to bond with. You're going to fall in love with them. Just like, well, it reminded me most of um, uh, the the Shakespearean one, you know. Now I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's Midsummer Night's Dream. Midsummer yep. Night's Dream. Yep. There's a love potion. And the one fairy queen wakes up and falls in love with Bottom, the guy who's been turned into a donkey. Okay. Because he's the first person she, she sees. So this is what... Sardanac does, and of course that ends up uh, rolling into a kind of a a comic side story with Matt, but uh, another uncomfortable scene or two for for Gary Graham with Matt Sykes' character. But Susan says Sardanac is slavery because George is now wondering about this Sardanac drug figures into this these murders that they're investigating. And he's wondering why he and Susan never did this, why they didn't use this drug to bond with each other. They agreed that they didn't need it because they would really bond naturally. And they have. Yeah. Um, But he's trying to pressure her at one point to to do it. And she doesn't want to. uh, Kathy wants to watch, by the way, uh, for their date. And Matt, at the end of the episode, concedes Herbie the love bug because (laughs) she they were obviously exposed to very childlike things, but they don't have a differentiation between what is what is for a child versus what is for an adult. Now, that's not to say that they're not going to show that I I, I, that George is going to show it does not to say that George is going to show his daughter the Nightmare on Elm Street or something. But when it comes to something like, you know. Herbie the Love Bug, Kathy just thinks it's a fun, happy movie because of the hilarity of it all. And and Matt, who's, you know, again, like you said, the comic way he's played, uh, takes it kind of like, he kind he's of horrified. shoots her down. Yeah, yeah um, he's horrified. Yeah, he's horrified. Um, he, uh, It's very funny how he compromises for her because I do know in an upcoming scene, and we talked about this with Terry, about the romance between him and Kathy is uh, explored in great detail and how he compromises for her with, like, I'll get some wine, I'll get you some sour milk, you know what I mean? We'll get it on that way, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, it just struck me as you're talking about that. Herbie the Love Bug yes. in, an, in an episode called Chains of Love, all about love. Coincidence? Uh, <laughs> I didn't even notice that until now. Yeah, yeah. It's not one of my favorite movies, but I I would rather watch that than The Three Stooges nowadays, I think. I don't think I'd want to watch any of the Herbie the Love Bugs except for the one that's not on Disney+, Plus, which a lot of people <laughs> have pointed out saying, why isn't this on Disney+, Plus? unless I'm wrong, and it's on Disney+, Plus. please let me know, people, that at gmail.com. The one starring Ted Raimi's co-star from The Evil Dead, Bruce Campbell, is in a Herbie the Love Bug movie. Wow, oh, look at how go. we just brought that back to Ted Raimi being in this episode. <laughs> Everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to be able to eat, you know? What you can What can you say? So they've got that Sardinac drug. Sardinac is slavery, which Susan mentions because slavery is such a big theme when it comes to the whole series, being that they were slaves aboard the ship with overseers and such. So that's a, a whole big thing. And sometimes you might accuse alienation of being a little bit heavy-handed with things like that. But it's very sweet that when, at the end of the episode, Susan actually brings home some Sardinac so that she and George can use it to bond because he'd wanted to. And he pours it down the sink. Mm. By the way, did you, um, the, the title of the episode is a Beatles song. Yeah, yeah, well... And and they, as you, I'm sure you noticed, they're playing it in all of the scenes where they have this mystery woman whose dates keep dying. They show her dates at the beginning where they're being drugged with this Sardinac. And in the background is the song Chains of Love, but with Tank Denise lyrics. And it's not the Beatles version. I, 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 it's women, some, some like a female group singing it. But is the song playing in the background with all these dates and i'm presuming tanktonese lyrics because i don't recognize the words mm, yeah yeah that's true they do do that a lot um i mean the opening uh, music for the show is a very like uh african kind of beating drum tribal music in a way yeah and it reminds me a lot of music you're currently hearing in black panther actually yeah yeah because oh, alienation is things technology sci-fi with uh you know the the uh, their their culture being so important to them and black panther i can't think of another current example and i don't watch everything people so i'm i'm, I'm just basing it on what i love and i love black panther i love its depiction of of uh, uh what is it called cyber afro is that the name of black panther genre <laughs> i haven't heard that term i guess it could be yeah somebody somebody called it when the first film came out it's 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 cyber Afro or Afro something. You know what I mean? It's this weird mix of, of, of African culture and and sci-fi that does not happen very often, let's face it. And Black Panther is really pushing that new kind of genre. You know what I mean? You yeah. have your Afro samurai anime with African characters, you know, samurai characters. And you have your black exploitation, whatever category you want to throw that into. But Black Panther does something different. And uh, the music just kind of reminds me of some of the drum style music that I heard on, in Black Panther. Uh, one thing that I did, did want to point out, and yeah. you watched these episodes too. I don't know how how much you watched the whole show. Did we ever see a black Tactonese? I'm not remembering that. Okay, because I remember on I'm not uh, remembering one. Because like in um, Star Trek World, the first black Vulcan we ever saw was Tupac. Tupac. 
whatever his name was. Yeah, Tuvok. Tuvok from the uh, Voyager. Was he the first one? Yeah, I guess so. Whereas Maybe like so. the Vol- the the Klingons were primarily a lot of times later on uh, when they stopped black facing people. Uh, ca- black people were cast in Klingon roles like Worf and, and so on. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now I can't remember uh, of there are any of the Tanktonese who were any other what we'd consider racial types particular other than Caucasian. So I don't I don't remember. Yeah, I'm trying to, to, to think if there was now, like any the maybe Hispanic ones because Hispanic have light lighter skin too. Uh, or is it just mostly white? It's something I don't remember if I ever brought up. I, I, sorry, it's something I, I remember I did not bring up to um, either Eric or Ken when they came on the show. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, well, you know, they're representing an alien race, so they're not exactly trying to represent humanity in that sense. But even with a lot of the montage scenes and things like that, I don't remember seeing any other racial types particularly. Interesting thought. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't have any more notes for this episode. Do you? I I think that just you know they're both of the episodes comments about drugs, about addictions, things of that kind. Uh, the game was about not only drugs but addiction to adrenaline. You know, adrenaline junkies and things like that. And Chains of Love, obviously, about this drug Sardinac, which is a love potion and can bond you to people for better and for worse. And, of course, the victims uh, end up being killed, if we want to give that away, not by this mysterious woman uh, who has just been basically wanting love because her face is burned and nobody wants anything to do with her. So she uses this drug to get people to like her. Uh, But they're being killed by someone else that she has dated who was drugged and has absolutely become obsessed with her to the point of killing anybody else he thinks might be competition. So those are interesting themes that they explore in, in uh, a alien nation in these particular episodes that I think do, they do a really good job with as they do throughout the series. I also, <coughs> excuse me. Um, one of your books I am going to uh, get on uh, audible. Um, the dead air podcast sounds so similar to the dead TV podcast that you're on. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, wait a minute, is this why Mickey set us up? <laughs> wait a minute, there's yeah, a guy who has a show that has a book that's similar to Chris's show. <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't it. It's the, my novel dead air. I decided as some authors have done to present it as a podcast, as well as an audio book. So I recorded it for both. And the only difference is that the chapters are divided up a little bit differently for the podcast um, than they are for the audiobook. But the recording is essentially the same. So the podcast is free. You don't have to buy the audiobook. Oh, okay. And you can get links to it from my website, which is www.scottoverton.ca. Pretty easy to remember. That's so funny. There's just a weird coincidence because it also looks like my setup in front of me right now, the cover. Yeah, uh, I'm not a podcaster. I'm not in your in competition with you guys in that way at all. My daughter has a a podcast on medieval history. Oh, She's really? A medieval popular. Oh, historian. wow. Cool. Yeah. Well, we are to cover something like that. I'll I'll reach out to you to to, to have her on to give us some uh, education. Oh well, sure. Anytime. She's uh, also by represented by the same publicist. So yeah, either way. That's fantastic. Well, Scott, why don't you give away your social media information where people can find your books? 
Well, the the main one that's most important is my website, which is www.scottoverton.ca because it has links to everything, um, including where to find the books. There are links to book trailers on YouTube. There are sample readings. There are some recordings that I've done on SoundCloud and, and all of those things. All of the books have a separate page. And there's even an e-book store, so you can buy the books in e-book form from my website. The only difference being that you would then have to load them into your e-reader yourself. But you can buy my books from any of the regular uh, online retailers. And I've, I've got books to read. If anybody knows about the universal book links from books to read, the words books, the number two and read, all one word, books2read.com slash Scott Overton is a universal book link that will enable you to get everywhere the books are sold. Go to your favorite retailer that way. So those are important. I do have a Facebook author page I'm at SF True North on Twitter. Don't do all that much with it. A Goodreads page and an Amazon author page as well as many others. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott, for coming on and cover these two episodes of Alien Nation on the Dead TV podcast with us. Don't forget you can find us uh, on ra on uh, RadioHorror.com for all the previous episodes and shows we have covered, uh, sci-fi related like War of the Worlds, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and so many more. And also over on ra on the Dead TV podcast on Facebook, you can send us an email at radiohorror at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments or corrections of anything we have talked about. And don't forget to leave us comment and a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, please, or Amazon, as uh, we are on the Audible Amazon app as well. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with another exciting episode of the Dead TV podcast. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Chris, for inviting me. It's been fun.